This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Sleek Geeks, Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer. Here with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl Kruzelnitsky in the Sleek Geek podcast. And this week we're a book club. I love a good book club, Carl. And the book I've chosen this week for our book club is uh, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. It's a fine book. Mm. Actually, I can think of um, one disadvantage that you went through with your fine book when you went into self-publishing. Which is? The good thing I find about going through regular publishing Mm. is it's full of all these people, mostly women, who love to read books. Ah. Oh, my God. Heaven on a stick. That's the only disadvantage because the only way they can get your book is by going to adamspencer.com.au, whereas mine, they can just get out of a regular bookshop if they still exist anymore. Mine mine is in regular bookshops as well. Yours is. But if you want the autographed copy, you've got to go through my website. You've written a book, have you? Yeah. yeah. Now, getting back to your book, your book (laughs) is in the windows of two university co-op bookshops, whereas my book is not. No. And in the Dimmock's book catalogue, yours is in a bigger picture than mine. Really? And so it should be. Oh, thank you very much, Carl. But That's you, right. You On have, the other hand, you don't get to mix with women who read books so much. You have written a book. Number 36. What's it which called? Which is six squared. It's called House of Cards, a shameless sort of play of words on House of Cards. And the people who've seen the uh, shot of Kevin Spacey um, uh, in, in House of Cards uh, sitting there, uh, Washington Monument style, Lincoln Monument style. So the book here is front cover, fantastic of you sitting sort of Abraham Lincoln style on a giant Lincoln chair made out of previous books of yours. Number 36. Six squared. Before we get into the details of a couple of things in the book, that which I really want, love and want to talk to you about, how does the process go of creating from from when your finger first hits a a button on a keyboard to type the first letter or the first mm. word of what goes on in a book. How does one of your books come about? Well, I read my way through $10,000 worth of scientific literature every year. Mm-hmm. And so I was reading through a non-scientific journal, a popular science magazine called um, Discover. And there was a story there in a column called, which had been going for 30 years, called Vital Signs. Mm-hmm. And it was about a way to cure metastatic cancer 100%. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it. I'd never heard of this, even though I was trained as a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of this method. And so I thought, wow, that's interesting. So then I put it into a series of talking points that I put out in my dozen or so radio shows every week. And there was such interest. I thought, people might like this. So then I turned that into the abscopal effect. It took 20 hours of reading up on this so-called abscopal effect. And then it takes about an hour and a half to actually write it. And then I realised that writing is different, different from editing. And then my wife goes through and does the first edit with words like, who wrote this crap? This is the wrong <laughs> order. I don't understand a single thing. This is rubbish. And then she whips it into a better shape and then finally it goes into the uh, short 700 form, 700 word form on the ABC homepage and then I expand it or shrink it for the book. You've had a couple of books that are outside of that format, but many of the books are those sort of compendiums of individual stories that you've told or been introduced to across the course of a year. Mm. When you put them together, so this one's got about 29 different um, chapters in the contents. Yeah. Do you look at those 29? Do you have a couple that you know, are your favourite children, are the ones that, that, that were painful to put together and, and, and irritate you just to see the title it's, it's of? It's funny that some of them grow. And I really try to keep them to a thousand words, uh, basing that via various uh, anecdotal evidence that that's the average amount of time of a male bowel motion. But mm-hmm. some of the little buggers will just grow. 
Some of the chapters will just grow to 1,500 words and 2,000. I'm trying to hold them back, but get back, boy. It's like I'm like being on the back of a horse. Did you find that with yours? That sometimes it, it just grows by itself and you, you're trying to throttle it back, but it'll just keep growing on you. Yeah, the challenge for me with my book was because it's the numbers 1 to 100 and there's an equal amount on each. There's a cover page and then three pages of facts. Right. When I did the first submission of material, I found that, you know, I could have written a whole book on the stuff I had on the number 20 and then oh. I'd, ha- I'd have absolutely bugger all on 83, for example. So there was a a second period of going around and trying to find... uh, So when I mentioned in the book that there are 83 in in Alaska, there are 83 towns or villages that are dry. It's illegal to serve alcohol, but there's only one, Fairbanks, Alaska, where it's illegal to serve alcohol to a moose. Really? That got me out of jail on page 80, Ah. on on chapter 83, because it's a nice big picture of a moose. But back to your book, Carl. Let's go through some of the examples. Here's what's great about it. You said... Toilet read is the phrase that they use in the industry, and you're absolutely right. Digestible chunks, excuse the pun, that you can then just read in the time that you might be sitting around or, you know, waiting for, um, you know, a page to download on the intranet thingy. You can just grab one of these, read and learn something. Food poisoning, the old five-second rule. True or not? People say you drop it, oh, quickly, pick it up. Hey, it's been there less than five seconds, it's fine to eat. What are we? What is the science of the five-second rule? Uh, well, firstly, it's not as though the bacteria sit there waiting for the foody goodness to fall from heaven and say, okay, back, guys, got to count for the five seconds before we jump on. No, <laughs> no, no. It's to do with surface area contact and the texture of the material. So if you've got something that's nice and flat, for example, Bologna sausage, a slice of sausage, and it's moist and it falls flat onto a tile, within five seconds, 99% of the bacteria have come across. However, drop it onto a carpet where a wisp of carpet makes contact here and another wisp somewhere else. You've got hardly any surface area of contact and less than a percent travels across in in, in five seconds. Oh, really? So the question is, should you pick it up off the floor? And the answer is, in most cases, it's not going to kill you. However, in America, about one-third of the population end up getting food poisoning each year. Several hundred thousand have to go to hospital. 5,000 die. And there are many people who have terrible side effects for the rest of their life. So, for example, you can get food poisoning. And then your body makes chemicals via the immune system Mm -hmm. to attack whatever is attacking you. Sometimes, by a terrible coincidence, those chemicals will attack your bone joints or your pancreas. And so in the case of pancreas, you get food poisoning, you get better. The chemicals that fought off the food poisoning also knock off your pancreas and you're a diabetic for the rest of your life mm. or because you had food poisoning. So, it, and, and it will kind of strengthen your immune system, but there are better ways to do it, like eating well, getting sleep, doing some exercise and above all getting vaccinated. And in most cases you can eat off the floor, but here's something to make you repulsed. If you go into the houses of men who live by themselves or with other men, mm-hmm. if they have a coffee, coffee table, 70% of the time there will be poo bacteria on that coffee table. Fecal bacteria Fecal on the coffee bacteria table. Fecal because the now, guys... Yeah, before people start yeah. thinking, oh, what are these guys doing to their coffee tables? Yeah. What happens? They um, wear shoes, they walk into private toilets, public toilets, and on grassy streets where dogs poo. They then come home from a hard day's work, put their feet up on the coffee table, crack open a beer, and the bacteria transfer from the bottom of their shoes onto the coffee table. 70% of coffee table in men-only apartments have faecal bacteria on them. There's another stat you mentioned in this book 
uh, under the five-second rule chapter, which I always find fascinating when we explain it to people, that bacteria, so we're not talking now about the bacteria on the coffee table, but bacteria inside our own bodies. If you counted up the number of cells within the walls of my skin, so within mm. my human body, 90% of all the cells you'd encounter aren't actually me. They're not related to you. They do Only 10% of the cells inside your body carry the DNA that was put together when your mother and father loved each other very much in a special way, your age plus nine months ago. 90% are invaders, and it turns out that those invaders are actually essential for us to keep alive. Without them, we'd be eating twice as much, we'd be very skinny, and we'd have a very weak and fragile immune system. And in fact, that, that's what, the immune system is the reason that cancers survive. Mm. And this is that abscopal effect to bring it around in a bit of a circle. So a cancer can survive inside you because your immune system doesn't recognise it. You, for example, you, Adam, you might lose your, your voice. You know, you've got a mm-hmm. sore throat, you lose your yep. voice. You're not going to worry because you know in a week or so it'll get better and in the background your immune system takes care of it. Cancers fight off the immune system or are invisible to it. And this is where the abscopal effect kicks in. So what happens is you've got some poor bugger who has had advanced cancer, it's turned everywhere, it's gone spread throughout their whole body, they have cancer of the everything, they're rooted, they're going to be dead in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And they turn up to you, the doctor, and they've got pain in their hip, and you know, okay, you've got cancer in your muscles, in your spleen, in your liver, in your heart, in your lungs, and in your right hip. Okay, it doesn't make you a better person to have pain. Let me spray your right hip with a huge dose of radiation, and it will kill the cancer. We couldn't spray your whole body because it'll kill you, but we'll spray your right hip. It'll kill the cancer there in a small area. It'll give you a couple of weeks or months of pain-free living before you toddle off. And then you say to the patient, oh, look, come back in a week until let's say how you're going, but if you're not feeling strong, just give us a ring. And they come back in a week and they say, you know, I actually feel better. You say, okay, well, here's an appointment. We'll come back in three months. You don't expect them to live for three months. And uh, if you're not feeling well, ring, and you don't expect them to come back. In three months, they walk into your office. They've gained five kilograms of muscle. They're no mm. longer in a wheelchair. And they think, what the hell? hell happened to you and you do a CAT scan, an MRI scan and every bit of cancer that showed up before in their body, in their lung and their liver and their heart and their brain and everywhere has gone, Mm -hmm. leaving tiny bits of scar. And what happened? The radiation sprayed and killed the cancer in their hip and somehow as the cancer died, it became visible to the immune system. And your immune system says, hello, hello, what's this? You shouldn't be here. And then it starts killing the cancer. Ah. And as the cancer evolves to get away from the immune system. The immune system chases it. You see, you can have a cancer and we can give you drugs and the cancer mutates and we're still giving you the same drugs. Mm -hmm. So here, we know that this effect called the abscopal ab away target from the target, away from the target, which in this case was trying to kill the hip, trying to kill the cancer in the hip, the cancer has died everywhere in your body, not just in the hip, because your immune system recognised it and killed it. Every cancer doctor, an oncologist, has a couple of these cases in their records. If only we could make it the norm instead of just the rare exception. We don't know how to trigger it. When it happens, we bless our lucky stars that that patient will live for the next 20, 30 years of normal life, 
cancer-free. But when that does happen, it's going to have a real uh, negative impact on the uh, papal sainthood industry. Because that's that's basically what people attribute as miracles, isn't it? They say this person had cancer, it was eating them away, we gave them three months to live, suddenly it all just went away. There are spontaneous remissions. It must have been divine intervention. It must have been a saint sitting at the right hand of God choosing to dispense with that cancer. But as you say, freakishly, sometimes it does just happen. By the immune system suddenly recognising the previously invisible cancer and having a go at it. You're with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl on our Sleek Geeks podcast. You can normally send us Twitter questions at Sleek Geeks, but this week we're reviewing Dr. Carl's latest book, House of Carl's. You've written up a great story here. We spoke about this at Sydney Town Hall during Science Week. We did a massive live demonstration, the etymology of the word selfie. It turns out that you play an intimate role in the history of what in 2013 was the Oxford English Dictionary's International Word of the Year. Yeah. Now, what was the day in the year 2002 that it happened? I think it was something in September. And so a young man called Nathan Hope... 13th of September, 2002, 2.55pm. He started posting about his injury, complaining about the fact that the stitches were a little bit annoying. And uh, then people said, well, there's this and there's that. And at 3.19, he then... It gave the explanation that he'd been perhaps drinking a little bit much and fallen over. Let me quote. Um, drunk at a mate's 21st, I tripped Ofer, O-F-E-R, and landed lip first with front teeth coming a very close second on a set of steps. I had a hole about one centimetre long right through my bottom lip. He posted a photograph that he had a taken... self-photograph. ...of his own mouth and said, and sorry about the focus on this photo, it was a selfie. So at 3.19 on the something of September in 2002, that was the first written use of the word selfie anywhere in the history of the universe. The word self-photograph had been shortened in our beloved Australian way to selfie. Because the Oxford English Dictionary, when they take on a new word and acknowledge it as part of the English language or dedicate it as word of the year, they always trace back its etymology and say, the word is selfie, here it is used in the, uh, you know, the Washington Post, here it is used online, and they try and find the first recorded usage. Where was this page where Nathan Hope wrote about the selfie? On the Dr. Carl self-service science homepage on the ABC. So the ABC and myself, we were the midwives helping bring this word into the English language, which was the word of the year in 2013, I think. It was indeed. And we will post this photo at the uh, drcarl.com website where you go to download your uh, Sleek Geek podcasts. You may well have seen the photo when you did this. We got Nathan Hope up at the Sydney Town Hall and I took a selfie of myself alongside Nathan Selfie Hope with 2,000 people in the Sydney Town Hall in the background taking selfies of themselves. I think it smacked Ellen DeGeneres' Oscar selfie out of the park as far as I was concerned. With a man who invented the word selfie, Nathan Hope. Hopey, big it up for you, man. So why why do you write these, Carl? House of Carl's. Why do you create a book like this each year? Because there's so much that I want to get out there. I want to get all these stories so people can stand around at the pub or at the water cooler or the coffee thing in the morning and say, did you know that? And I'll do a 20-second summary of something they've learnt which will, in some way, make their life better. I firmly believe that dealing with reality is better than dealing in lives. Science in lives. Science is a way 
to not get fooled. And so I try to tell stories that will help people know more about the world that will make their lives better. And you have certainly done that with Dr. Carl's House of Carl's, available in good bookstores practically everywhere. But not on adamspencer.com where we can get your book instead. AdamSmetzer.com.au, Carl. Don't oh, forget the .au. Don't, oh, gee, thank God you reminded me of why, that. Why don't you go to my, my website right now, AdamSmetzer.com.au, and order a few copies of my book. I'll go to book, good bookstores everywhere and buy a few of yours. Oh, and mine's also at DrCarl.com. Now, how come you're not AdamSpencer.com? Is there already another pretender to the name somewhere else in the world? I don't want to talk about that, but if he's listening, you suck. Oh. Cakes.